welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Cam Lewis. Cam, what's up? I'm, I'm tired, and I just and I spilled coffee all over the place, and it's bad. So I'll try my best to navigate through this interview and be good, but it's not looking good right now. Yeah, and uh, segueing into that, we're actually going to be having Mike Camito on. Uh, he's had work shown up at Vice, uh, Sports Illustrated. All over the nation network itself, he's a man, you know, a Swiss Army man of sorts, and he's going to be talking to us about the uh, history of the NHL, historical figures in general, and he's going to be talking about about uh, some of his work that he does um, at the uh, college where he instructs. Uh, I'm excited to get to the interview already, but um, before we d- uh, talk about that, there's a few housekeeping notes that we will uh, talk about now, so we don't, you know, bore you guys uh, throwing in at the end and making you listen for a little while longer. I mean. You've got, you'll probably skip over it anyway, but hey, you know. You I, I can't imagine that anybody gets that far to when like the interview's over and then we're just babbling on. Yeah, and we're talking about random stuff. I think by that everyone's like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, um, <laughs> you, can fo- you can follow me at Sam underscore Blazer. You can follow Cameron at Coom three O's in that, but one. Um, you can also follow <laughs> our Twitter account at Watch the Game NHL. Uh, this week we're going to be having uh, Corey Pronman on, and then right now we're also working on a third guest to come out on Friday or just come out for our Friday episode. Um, it's shaping up to be a big one. We're talking about three different people that are all, you know, staples in the hockey community, and so that should be a good holiday-esque episode for you. Um, make sure to rate us and subscribe on Twitter, or on Twitter, on uh, iTunes. That helps us out, um, get more eyes on the podcast, and then hopefully at some point in time, Cam and I can just do this podcast for a living, and then we can just dedicate our time. <laughs> Right, Cam. Yeah. Cam laughs, man, but that's that's the goal here, baby. Is that right away? Yeah, is that I just I just want to do this podcast every day, and we can just make this into our own little radio show. I'm I'm all about it. I don't know about yep. you, but that's 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 my goal. But we won't diddle and uh, doddle around anymore. We'll uh, go right into our conversation with Mike Vito. We'll be right back. <laughs> back and we are now joined by Mike Camito. Uh, Mike, how you doing today? I'm great. Sam, how you doing? Good. Can't complain. Um, now, you are one of the few hockey historians out there. There's, you know, a couple uh, sprinkled about on Twitter, but uh, each and every day you are always posting something about the league itself and something that, you know, uh, needs to be remembered. But recently you came out with this pretty big uh, Sports Illustrated piece can you walk us through that and how that actually came together, whether it, uh, it be, you know, actually getting into contact with Sports Illustrated, putting the piece together, and the history around it, if you, if you don't mind? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as you'd mentioned, I'm, uh, I like to fancy myself as a hockey historian. Um, I actually didn't, uh, I didn't go to school to, to study hockey history. Uh, my actual background is environmental history. So, I actually did, uh, I did a lot of work on the history of black bear hunting and management uh, during my days at McMaster. So outside of uh, hockey Twitter, I'm kind of known as the bear guy. Uh, but on hockey Twitter, I've, uh, I've you know been trying to carve out a niche in, in the hockey history realm. Again, there are a few of us, uh, obviously, that are, that are visible online, but I'm just trying to you know bring some daily hockey history tidbit to the masses whenever I can with some, I think, some of the more notable moments. But, uh, but going back, because of the, I think, because of the centennial celebrations uh, that are happening throughout the season, obviously with the Centennial Classic coming up with the Leafs and the Red Wings, uh, for me, I really wanted to kind of go back and look at that first season and kind of tell uh, the history of that first season, not only because obviously it was momentous because it was the first time that the NHL 
you know, had put these uh, put these games together and, and and really began what we what we now know as the league. But also because there was some other hidden history uh, scattered about that that first season that I thought was worth noting about. And so some of that was uh, some of the league disputes that had really formed the National Hockey League. That prior to the NHL forming in in November of 1917, there was the National Hockey Association, uh, the NHA. So that was the precursor to the NHL. Uh, but because of some league infighting amongst the other owners, that had led to uh, they had ceased to operate the NHA and they had formed uh, the NHL basically with the intent to exclude uh, one of the former owners, uh, uh, Eddie Livingston, from uh, he had owned one of the Toronto clubs before that. But because he had got himself in the hot water with the other owners, they kind of wanted to cut bait with him. And so they formed their own league and kind of iced him out of of that new league. Uh, and And then again, throughout the season, I talked about some of the the fact that high offensive uh, high offense was a uh, was a hallmark of the season there was a lot of games where uh you know teams were just filling the net uh to the brim so to speak and even the first games that were played you know 99 years ago today uh you would have had uh it was a 7-4 game uh with the senators uh and uh the canadians and then the wanderers the montreal wanderers beat the the toronto club uh 10-9 so again high offensive uh Output was uh, was a feature of the season, and then I think another interesting thing that I kind of talked about in the article as well was just the fact that uh, the Montreal teams their arena burned down. Uh, so literally, the Wanderers season went up in flames. Uh, both the Canadians and the Wanderers shared uh, shared this arena, uh, but because of faulty wiring, uh, a fire started in the dressing room that caused the boilers and the ammonia tanks to explode, and basically the whole arena went up in flames. Both teams lost all of their equipment. Uh, but unlike the Wanderers, the Canadians were able to relocate uh, to another rink, uh, but the Wanderers weren't able to do that, and so they ended up having to fold the team. Um, so that was, those are some of the, the highlights of the season. Again, you had a lot of great uh, uh, performances from Joe Malone. Uh, he had scored uh, you know, 44 goals in 20 games. Um, and you also had, that would have been the first season where, uh, where George Vesna put up the first NHL shutout. So a lot of, a lot of interesting things, and also I think, for, for many of our for many of your listeners that uh, you know the Toronto won the Stanley Cup that that year as well right in the playoffs so I think that there's a lot of interesting things that we can kind of pull out from that inaugural season as as as, as we go forward this year and celebrate uh, the centennial anniversary. How is it that you go about finding all of this information? I mean, when you look on Hockey Reference and different sites like that as to what happened in you know seasons in the early 1900s is almost. There's almost just nothing there. So what what's your process like for digging around and finding stuff? Yeah, no, that's the hockey reference is great. I think they have the game logs uh, as far back as '86, um, but then after that, you're kind of you're kind of on your own, right? So so basically, I think the way that I'm able to kind of access a lot of this information um, is just through. I still have my uh, because I teach uh, Canadian history at Laurentian University. I have access to the library's uh, databases, right? So I'm able to go back and, and use some of the databases they have, you know, Globe and Mail historical searches, New York Times, going back as far as the 1850s with some of those resources. And again, uh, even sometimes having to go to the library in person and pulling microfilm reels uh, from, from local newspapers uh, to find those, da- those games in question, then also some, some wider uh, provincial and national newspapers. So if I knew that the team had played uh, on, on such a date, which you can get from uh, Hockey Reference, for example, but they don't really give you uh, who had scored what goal, what penalties were accumulated throughout the game. That's when I would go and go through the databases online, or I would go into the library in person and pull a microfilm reel from 
you know, the following day or two days after, depending on what, what day of the week the game fell. And that's usually how I'll try to pull together some of that, uh, that more those finer details that might get lost if you're just looking at the box scores on Hockey Reference. So, so sometimes, depending on what it is, uh, it's a little bit more of a, a heavy lifting process, depending on what kind of information is available. But I'm always amazed at what type of information you can find online. But still, um, my go-to is, is to go to the library. The, the library is your friend. As much as Google uh, can certainly help you out, uh, there's, not, no, there's not really the replacement for going through the primary sources yourself and finding those, uh, those little nuggets. This segment is actually going to be sponsored by the library. We didn't tell you that before, <laughs> but we're uh, no. But uh, on today, before we were getting ready for our interview, uh, Mike, I was taking a look, just kind of digging around at some stuff. And uh, actually, in today's day, back in 1984, uh, Wayne Gretzky became the youngest person to score a thousand points today, which I thought was kind of interesting. But on like to take, throw it over into your court. What's like a, a you know a historical fact that you find the most fascinating? And I'm sure you know in that mind of yours, you got like you know a bunch of hustle and bustle. So I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot. But is there is there something on your end that you find the most intriguing, uh, at least in the NHL's history? Oh, that's that's a great one. There's so many there's so many angles you could probably go with that. But I think the ones that I find most intriguing, and again, it doesn't necessarily mean. Uh, you know, one that sticks out in my mind, but it's those those trades that have happened or those transactions that have happened that seem, you know, pretty innocuous at the time. But then, obviously, as as time goes by and we've had a you know a long window to kind of assess things, uh, that's when it really puts things in perspective, right? And so I, the reason I bring that up is again, one of the anniversaries that we had today was when the Calgary Flames traded Joe Newendijk to the Dallas Stars, and so in return for that. Uh, they got they got Cullen, and then they got also received the rights to Jerome Aginla. And so that proved to be one of those moves where, obviously, over the long run, that just proved to be a, a, a great uh, a great win for the Flames. Uh, but those are the things that I, I think that are always the most interesting. I certainly, um, when I'm pulling up those old numbers from Wayne Gretzky, you know, those those are usually just pretty baffling. Um, I think even it was yesterday, or I had another tidbit on Gretzky where. Yeah, uh, it was in 1983 on that day yesterday where he had scored his 100th point uh, in his 34th game, and so those are always just blow my mind when you look back at the just the sheer volume that he was putting up, uh, you know, in in relation to his competitors, and just even how those numbers now just seem to be uh, unfathomable, right? So, but yeah, I always just try to pull out. Uh, I think find the what I think hopefully what other people think are the most interesting portions of you know of hockey history, right? Because there's a ton of hockey history and, you know, some is more interesting than others. But for me, it's just always the ones that I think people would look back on and say, yeah, that was a, that turned out to be a pretty crazy move or that really changed uh, the face of that franchise, uh, you know, for the next uh, 20 years. Now on that's on the kind of on that similar pathway, uh, I'm talking about the NHL history overall. Um, you know, You've talked before, and I've seen this with uh, at NHL History Girl. You've talked about how you believe that there should be a need on each NHL team for a historian, uh, someone who's able to you know track and you know make sure that the uh, the team itself remains current in that regard. What is your argument or uh, other historians' argument for that in the NHL? Uh, well, I think that that's just, I think that's key for any team or, or any organization for that matter is to have a good stock of your history, right? To to get a sense as to where the direction that the organization has come from, how it started, what its roots were, and how it's evolved over the years. And and I think that uh, that seems to be where a lot of, I, I think a lot of teams in the NHL are lacking. That's really the only uh, sport I've kind of probed into what the 
what the capacity is like in that department. And uh, yeah, and it's interesting to see how they kind of view hockey history, right? Because I think that there's a tendency uh, where again, some of the stuff, and I do it myself with those on this day, you know, such and such and such, you know, that qualifies as hockey history. And it certainly does. But I think that there's a lot more that historians offer than simply, you know, antiquarian facts that just say, well, this happened, you know, 40 years ago today. So that's cool. Um, Whereas what I'm trying to do when I talk to these teams it's to try to tell them that you know you need to capture the history you need to capture so that it can be contextualized later uh, and again in, even in in addition to having a historian whether these teams have archivists that are there to preserve all these photographs and i know that today where a lot of these photographs are captured digitally but again making sure that uh, there is that rich depository of material for you know for for the future of the organization for the fans uh, and for future re- researchers that might have an interest in gaining access to some of those materials and so um, you know, I, I, this was a project that I had done over the last year where I had made it a point to, to contact every NHL club and ask them if they had a historian or an archivist in some capacity. And I, I did end up getting a response from every club. Sometimes it took a little bit longer than others. Um, and I think off the top of my head, I don't have the spreadsheet in front of me, but there's six or seven that have a dedicated historian or archivist uh, that are a part of their team. And in and, and other times you'd have some interesting answers where, uh, and for example, so the Colorado Avalanche told me that they don't have the need uh, for a historian or archivist because they're so young, that they feel that they don't really have a history that needs to be captured or preserved. And, and to me, that was just the, the worst answer that a historian could receive is that that's not really, a, uh, in my mind, that's not really, a, I think, a justified response. That, that in fact, is, a, is an even better reason why you should get on board now, because the organization is still is relatively young, that it's much easier to to kind of capture it and get it together for the point when you want to have those celebrations or you want, or when you want to have those commemorations. But certainly the Avalanche do have a rich history, given the fact, you know, they already have some championships under their belt. Um, so, so for me, it's just kind of breaking in and trying to see if, if you can offer something beyond, I think what a lot of people think are just those, uh, those surface analyses with the, with the hockey history on these days. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know that, that would be my dream. That's my dream. Uh, my, uh, my dream job would be to be uh a historian for an NHL club, whether or not that'll ever happen, who knows, but for now I'm, you know, I'm happy to, to do the hockey history on the side as a, as a hobby. So when we look back on this era, I guess, I, I'd call this era the, I guess, the post-lockout time. If When we look back on this 50, 100 years from now, what do you think people will remember? What do you think is happening right now that's like really Really relevant to the future of the game. Obviously, I mean, you can't know exactly what's going to change. I mean, I, that sounds weird to say, but what's going to change the future? But like, what do you think is really key right now that people are going to remember back in hindsight when they look back on us? Oh, that's yeah, that's a. Uh, it's certainly a lot, uh, a lot to unpack. I think that uh, you know some of the things that would stick out for me that they're going to. I think that's that's interesting that people will be looking on. And I guess it depends on what kind of angle you know, they want to look at whether or not it's going to be something technical with how the game is being played. Uh, again, some of the, whether or not it's going to be the debate about offense, uh, whether or not there's, there were, we were scoring, there, they weren't scoring enough goals in the post-lockout period and what they did to change that, whether or not that's an equipment thing. Again, we, we have the, we're going through the debate right now as to, uh, as to what they're going to do about that, if they're going to change the size of the nets, are they going to bring in different goalie equipment? Uh, you know, how are we going to increase scoring? And, and again, I just think that that's interesting because that always seems to be a hallmark of, of how we look back on the NHL is, you know, the scoring issues. It's, it's, it's not just simply something that's happening in our era now. Um, again, there was something I had posted the other day uh, where the NHL had brought in uh, offside, and this was in the – I can't remember the date off the top of my head, but this was this, the early uh, – 
I think it was the early 30s, right? Because, again, uh, they had said that there was too many uh, scoring opportunities and the game was too fast, so they brought in offside to kind of slow things down. Um, and you have other, other, other examples of this throughout history where there's a, there's a, a debate about uh, you know, how the game should be played in order to reduce scoring chances or increase scoring chances. So I, I just think it's interesting how, as we go forward, you, you, we, always, we always seem to circle back to some of these same moments that we've encountered in the past. Um, but again, I, I just I think also, especially because how we're seeing it unfold now, and, and we don't really see the end result yet of how it's going to play out, is is the concussion issue. I think will be an interesting one uh, for historians to look back, especially outside of hockey historians, but even just uh, you know medical historians who have focused on head trauma. I think there's a, an interesting entry point for them in some of their studies with what's going on right now uh, in in the major league sports, but also how the league is handling it uh, with hockey and how that's going to play out. But, uh, but yeah, those are just some things that stick out to me. I guess I'll just to throw it back to you guys. Did you have any ideas in mind of what you think we'll be talking about or what the historian, the historians should be talking about in, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now? I think that it's I'm trying definitely... to cheat here a little bit, but you can tell me, <laughs> I'm trying to cheat. So you can tell me what I should be writing my next article about down the road. We're going to look back at this, this game right now and how there's no space and not much speed and how this ultimately resulted in hockey getting rid of the offside rule. I'd be all for that. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> I, I think similarly off, uh, <clears throat> off a little bit of what Mike was talking about is I think that fighting will kind of be looked back on in a similar way where it's kind of, you know, what what exactly were we trying to accomplish then? And I don't know if we're going to necessarily mm-hmm. get that, you know, smarter down the line and, you know, uh, and come and look at this at a different angle. But I this is something where I think now we're going to be like, that was pretty barbaric. I don't know why we, why we allowed that for such a long period of time and gave us ourselves like this reasoning that didn't seem so sound. I mean, at, le- at least that's my opinion. Do, do you feel like anything similar uh, camera, Mike? I, yeah. I think I, I like, I like that point, Sam, that you brought up. I think that'll be another interesting, ha- uh, I guess, hallmark of this era that I'm sure depending on how far down the road we go, where you might definitively have an answer as to whether or not that's still in the game or not. I think it's, it's very clear the direction that it's moving in. Um, and I think there was even a poll recently just to kind of get a sense as uh, they'd asked, uh, I believe maybe Yahoo did this, but, uh, but they had asked viewers, you know, if, if fighting was eliminated from the game, you know, how would that affect your viewership of hockey? And, you know, there was 25%, I think that said, you know, they'd watch more 25% said they'd watch less. And then obviously the bulk of them, bulk of the respondents had said it wouldn't change my viewing at all. Um, so I, we're kind of getting to a point where I think there's a lot of indifference around it. Certainly a lot of people still enjoy it. Um, a lot of people are, are, are abhorred by it, but, but I think that that's probably something where, you know, down the line that's, we'll, we'll definitively see, you know, that being phased out officially through some sort of policy change or just maybe as it's kind of going naturally, uh, you know, the way of the dodo right now. But I think that's definitely something we'll be able to look back on in the future and see that, that maybe that uh, we'll see fighting get uh, sunsetted. Now here's a question for you, Mike, and this is kind of like the classic question that everybody asks. But out of the three people living or dead, uh, which historical figures would you uh, like to have dinner with? Oh, that's good. I've never – you know what? I've never been asked, I've never been asked that question. So oh, does this on. have to uh, – <laughs> Yeah, no. I should actually do this maybe uh, for for some of my uh, for my for some of my students. But uh, would this have to strictly apply to the hockey world, or uh, or, or or could I go beyond that just how so about, I know my parameters? How about we do one hockey and then we just do one general one? Okay. So living and dead. 
Yeah, living or dead, whichever you want to do. Okay. Well, I think ultimately, just for my own selfish purposes, I would I would have to pull Wayne Gretzky into the mix, uh, just to have dinner with the great one, uh, pick his brain about all his. Uh, you know, now that he's a hockey historian himself, uh, he re- he recently penned that book, uh, Ninety Nine Stories of the Game. So. I'd like to pick his brain because he obviously fancies himself a hockey historian as well, and obviously the, one of the you know greatest player of all time. So he has both areas covered for me that I would, you know, simply derive the most enjoyment out of a dinner. Uh, and then I think in terms of if I were to go outside of the hockey history world, you know, I'd like to talk to uh, former Prime Minister Mackenzie King, um, and so and talk about you know his time in office as you know the longest serving Prime Minister in Canadian history. Uh, some of, you know, the trials and tribulations he went through in office, obviously, you know, guiding the country through the Second World War and, and some of the Depression. But Mackenzie King's one of those figures in Canadian history that has a lot of, uh, I think, a lot of quirky stories about him. And so I'd like to have him there in person to kind of set the record straight about some of those hidden histories that people talk about uh, when it comes to King. Interesting. Interesting. I think there's, you know, so many people that you could even do it. How about, how about you, Cam? I want to hear who... Who uh, your dinner table would be? You can either do hockey or you can just do a general one. It's completely up to you. Uh, yeah, no, I've never been asked this question either, and I honestly have like <laughs> no idea. <laughs> that's it. That yeah, I wasn't expecting this, so you put me on the spot. I wasn't expecting to be interviewed, but I don't know. I would pick. I'd pick probably probably somebody who was a uh, somebody who was more low key that I know would tell stories and just go completely off someone like um maybe like jeremy roenick or something like that someone who just like <laughs> d- d- just doesn't have a filter and just does and will just like uncandidly say like crazy stuff i don't know that that that's difficult there, who would you do it with there's totally like two ways of, like two like thoughts that i have with it is that you could either have like one where basically just be a fight at the dinner table or you'd have one where you just like kind of like pick your brain like the jeremy roenick one i think you could totally if you like kept it in the hockey realm he'd be one where you'd have it for like the the fighting at the table, where you'd just be like, "Yeah, this is absolutely <laughs> nuts." There's being, uh, you know, there's mashed potatoes being thrown everywhere. The peas and carrots are, you know, just thrown about. But I think that by the same token, I like just uh, even in a general one, I think it'd be interesting to just talk to Gary Bettman for like 30, 40 minutes and just hear what he has to say. Because you can tell, as, regardless of what people's opinions are on him, he is someone that is like you know absurdly smart and like he has a plan with what he wants to do and sometimes he is arrogant in the way that he like you know carries out that plan but i think overall he's you know what he's been able to do to the league and the way he's been been able to make it like grow the way it has it's it's absurdly impressive and i think going from there he would definitely he'd definitely be one of my people at my you know hockey one and possibly even at my general one too just because of how much i enjoy hockey itself um, but I guess at this point, I think another one for me, and then of course, if we're going to have an episode cam, it's going to have to go back to, you know, the blue jackets in some way, shape or form. Um, but I would totally have, uh, dinner with the, the founding member who's unfortunately passed away, founding member of the, uh, or founder rather of the Columbus blue jackets, uh, John H McConnell and talk to him about that process of building nationwide arena on a old, uh, prison ground, um, and things like that, because there's just like so many questions to be had there that you know, n- n- for a period of time, and I'm not sure if either of you guys knew this, but they actually back in like 06, 07, 
they they had someone come in and you know put like holy water everywhere to try to like break whatever curse was surrounding the blue jackets and that was only <laughs> six that was only like oh, really? six or seven years in that was only like six or seven years in and I don't I don't think that was like team mandated by any stretch but uh, I think that was kind of just you know fan done but I think that's something that like how absurd is that just like to even think about that like, you're only six or seven years in and little do they know nine years later they'd actually finally be seeing some some sort of sustained success but like of course i'm saying this like less than 30 games into the season so i, I might as well bite my tongue right now um <laughs> but I, I think he's definitely one of the people that I'd, I'd put on mine as well now before we before we let you go mike i want you to talk a little bit about what's going on with um your classes itself you talked to us a little bit beforehand or at least talked to me about how you you do uh, something with your classes where you do a fantasy draft of historical figures is that I think there needs to be some sort of way to do that with our, uh, you know, some of the hockey players as well. It, can you can you walk us through that a little bit and uh, the entire concept and, and your thought as a professor? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but and just by the way, I, I would love to be invited to your Jeremy Roenick, uh, Gary Bettman dinner party. I think that uh, I, I would definitely love to be on the guest list for that. Just when the when the potatoes start flying, and uh, once again, I am writing my analysis. Uh, <laughs> dinner conversation invariably happens but uh but uh, in terms of what i do in my class and this is this is me selfishly trying to inject uh you know my love of hockey and, and fantasy drafts into the classroom but uh, but i will say at least from the feedback i've had from the students it usually is a hit so it's not necessarily me just kind of uh trying to push it on them although i, I definitely do do that but um but one of the one of the things in with our class, the textbook that we generally use for this, and, and I'm kind of limited in what I'm able to bring in because oftentimes I'm, as a sessional instructor, I don't have a lot of prep time for these courses, so I, I tend to go with what has been previously used in, in the course that kind of preceded this one. So this is usually the continuation of of a course that started in the fall. So I teach Canadian history post Confederation, so we're talking, you know, 1867 onwards, and the textbook that we use has. Uh, a wide array of little portraits or historical vignettes of figures in Canadian history. And so when I was first teaching the class, and we do discussions, you know, every few weeks where we look at primary source documents or we look at it or we read a, a historical article and we have a discussion. And sometimes, the, you know, the discussions get a little stale, so I'm always trying to find different ways to engage the students and have them talk about the stuff that we read. And so one of the things I thought was, I said, well, why don't, why don't we read each of these 20 historical vignettes? And again, they're not very long. They're maybe a page at, at best. So they'll read all of these. I'll break them into small groups of teams um, that I will then label as, you know, the Leafs. Last year was the Leafs, the Jets, the Oilers, the Canucks, and the Flames. I usually pick the Canadian teams that are uh, jockeying for the lottery position. And so they break off into a, in these little teams and they work together. And then I assign them uh, a, a draft order. And then from there, the, the goal for them is to try to draft the most historically significant team in Canadian history using uh, figures that range from, you know, even more content, current figures like Stephen Harper is, is among the list. It's just how the textbook had picked these people. But again, I think more, more historically significant people like Tommy Douglas, uh, Nellie McLung is in the list as well, uh, Harold Cardinal. And so we've been doing this now. This will be my fifth year doing this. And so I kind of have an idea as to who's, gonna, who's the projected number one uh, going into the draft. Uh, and it always is a lot of fun because what we do is they'll work together. So they get to work together, which is, I think, a nice break from the typical discussions. Uh, but then when they do make their pick, 
uh, they kind of have to justify it to the class and give a, le- a brief explanation as to why they're picking, you know, Ernest Lapointe, uh, who is uh, Prime Minister King's, uh, you know, Minister of Marine and Fisheries and also his right hand uh, throughout his time in office. Uh, so they have to give a justification. I'm always impressed by the, the, the students that have an affinity for hockey as well, and they, they do the typical... Uh, and with the, with the first overall pick in the 2016 Canadian People's Fantasy Draft, the Toronto Maple Leafs are proud to select Tommy Douglas, uh, you know, father of Medicare, and they get into this whole thing, right? And so it's always interesting to me to see which way the picks are going to go from year to year because uh, you always have some off-the-board picks that will kind of shock you and just throw the whole draft uh, into disarray. Because, for example, last year we had... Igor Guzenko go second overall, and for those of you, for, for those of you that don't know who or who Igor Guzenko was, uh, he was a Soviet uh, cipher clerk who defected, uh, you know, from the embassy in Ottawa in nine, after the Second World War, and essentially, you know, initiated the Cold War because he alerted the Canadian American governments to the the existence of spy networks across North America from the Soviets. Um, but typically, he's not somebody that would go second overall. So then you had other people scrambling to say, holy, holy, oh man, Gizenko went second overall. That means, you know, Louis St. Laurent, Harold Cardinal, they're all on the board. And so it's, I don't know, I, maybe that's just the, the history uh, hockey geek in me and the fantasy nerd. But uh, I don't know, I, that's always the, the one part of the class I always look most forward to. And the fact that I don't, they, they usually have a positive response. I haven't had to scrap it yet, but uh, maybe that's maybe when I get reviewed at the end of the year, maybe those are some of the comments they say that too much fantasy drafts. But for now, it's a, it's a hallmark of my class at LU. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Whenever I play like an NHL video game or anything like that, Whatever I, whenever I do it, I always like you know just do the fantasy draft. We'll start it from the beginning, and I'll do it the way I want to do it, and I'll select the players that I want to select. And that's always so fun because you know that's the entire point of it is <laughs> you can just make it whatever the heck you want. And now here's the last mm-hmm. question for both of us before we let you go, Mike, and we really appreciate your time. Um, if we kind of flip the tables, and you know the instructor itself had to do this. Uh, and you can't pick Wayne Gretzky first overall. That's that's an easy one. You know, that's like, that's you know, basically like picking, uh, you know, say for like the Americans, you just pick like George Washington number one overall for your historical figure. It's just it's just too easy. Um, but for mm-hmm. the, if you had to do an NHL historical player fantasy draft, who would be your, your number one? And uh, yeah, you're gonna have to give an uh, explanation why. Well, I think that's actually uh, you know for me. I think it's still an easy answer. Um, my number one would be would be Gordie Howe, and again, that's also Wayne Gretzky's number one. So I guess by extension, that allows me to kind of bring Wayne Gretzky back into the picture. But uh, but I, I would I would just have to go with Gordie Howe for sure, number nine. Um, again, just given I think the impact that he had on the game overall, his the way he played the game, how physically hard he played the game, um, and just the fact that he was able to. Uh, play the game for as long as he did, right? I think that that that's always amazes me as well, right? Just the fact that he had had so many consecutive seasons where, you know, he had scored twenty more, twenty or more goals. Um, I always like to think about uh, just to kind of kind of go back to this whole point about you know Gordy Howe and his longevity and you know the amount of goals that he scored in the league is that. Right now, we have the debate about Yarmer Yager and how you know he's going to catch, he's going to he's going to continue to move up on on the all-time scoring list. And everyone always talks about how well, well, you know, he'd be much higher if he didn't spend those those uh, those seasons in the KHL that he would have caught. Uh, you know, maybe he'd be rivaling Wayne Gretzky uh, in some of those categories. But the thing that when we talk about that, the thing that we always leave off that uh, in, out of that conversation as well 
is that had Gordy Howe not taken his you know six seven year sabbatical in the WHA and he was able to continue playing in the NHL at that time, you know where would he be on the all time goal scoring list, right? Um, and so. I don't know. And again, just kind of, uh, and I think maybe the fact that, you know, he had passed away recently and that this is kind of, you know, we've kind of focused a lot of our stories on him and his impact on the game, you know, how he touched so many players and, you know, and the stuff that he did off the ice as well. I think maybe that's also uh, resonating with me right now, but certainly I think that if you just look at his life and, and certainly his stat lines, I think it would be uh, it'd be a no brainer for me to say that that would be a, a reasonable pick uh, for my first overall for taking Gretzky off the board, which, which again, I think is actually going back to the fantasy drafts. My uh, my my father-in-law always used to tell me that when when he was in drafts back in the day, you know, Gretzky was was off off the board. You couldn't take him because obviously he would just be a he would steal the show uh, in in regular season and in obviously playoff uh, fantasy pools as well. Now that we have Mike selecting the number one overall pick in the 2016 NHL uh, historical figure fantasy draft, um, the second pick now goes to Cam Lewis. Uh, Cam. Who are you going to be picking number two? And you're going to have to give us a reason why as well. And uh, Mike's going to be grading this at the end of this, so you better make sure you, know, you have a good answer. With the second overall pick, I would definitely take Mario Lemieux, who I think at his peak was arguably the best player of all time because he had the combination of that vision and skill that Gretzky had, but also the size to just dominate mm-hmm. players physically. He didn't need to have like a Dave Semenko on his wing to pound guys' faces faces in because, you know, he could just do it himself because he was a tank. And then, of course, I mean, Lemieux, as we know, played games hours after chemotherapy, which is just absurdly impressive, just like that, a thing that takes all of your energy and willpower out of you to still play a game and perform. It's like absolutely like in- incredible. So that's who I would take second overall. I think for the third overall pick in the 2016 uh, NHL historical figure fantasy draft, I would pick a little bit of an off-the-board selection, and this may surprise you too. Um, I'd pick Peter Forsberg. Uh, Growing up and watching hockey, uh, at least being in Columbus and not having a team for a period of time, you kind of just had to watch the big figures in the league itself. So in the mid '90s, uh, you know, early 2000s, one of the people that really uh, resonated with me and. a whole lot, and of course, we talked about the Avalanche earlier, and this is probably one of the reasons they need to uh, have a hockey historian. Mike is uh, he was one of the like, the people that I watched and make made like hockey itself almost seem poetic when he skated. It like didn't even seem like he was actually skating at all. It was like he was like he was just floating on top of like the ice itself. It, <laughs> it, it, it is, it's honestly what it looked like. He was just so he was just so damn graceful and when he was uh, and of course you have the Forsberg move which is like one of the, like the like at this point in time is one of the like most used moves in the shootout itself and it's absolutely ridiculous what he's able to bring to the game and then you think to yourself, man, if he wouldn't have been injured the way he was you know, later on in his career that he could have, like, you know, ended up rocketing up a whole lot of lists. And he's also, at this point in time, you know, doing a lot for Swedish hockey itself. And I think that's something that can't be understated is, like, the growth of the game outside of, like, the Americas. That's It's huge, and he's been one of the main reasons why his own personal investments out there and what he's doing for, uh, you know, in the leagues itself. So drafting Peter Forsberg, drafting Peter Forsberg third overall in an NHL all-time draft is the most Columbus Blue Jackets thing I could ever think of. <laughs> Just like <laughs> you've been yeah. watching that team draft for way too long to make that kind of decision. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I was say that's painful. That, that's 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 uh, Cam taking a pot shot at me. 
No. I do that every single time we talk. I always find a way to to shoehorn the Blue Jackets into this discussion and make fun of them in some yeah, capacity. Exactly. And then when they win the Stanley Cup this year, I'll just say nana nana boo boo to uh, Cam. But uh, and we like, know it's going to happen. It's it's certainly shaping up for that right now, right? Just uh, defying the odds in every imaginable way that uh, that will be the that'll end up happening. I you know, and then you'll you'll have your you'll have your moment in the sun, camp or Sam. Sorry, it's the year of Ohio. Exactly, I was it's about to year, say yeah. it's the year of Ohio. You the Cavs, you got the Indians making it the World Series. You have uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes going to make making it their way into the college football semifinal. I don't know, man. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against Ohio right this second, but. Uh, <laughs> Mike, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Before we let you go, though, can you give us uh, your Twitter handle, where we can find your work, um, anything you else you want to plug uh, that you've been into recently? Yeah. You're more than welcome to. Floor is now yours. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, again, as I uh, as I plug, it's it's one of my go-to hockey podcasts that I myself love to listen to. I don't think I'll be able to listen to this one just because I can't stand the sound of my own voice, uh, or at least I always go back and critique myself. But uh, but you're you're in my regular hockey uh, rotation. Uh, but you can find uh, you can find it, it the work that I do. Uh, it's probably just easier on my Twitter handle. It's at Mike Comito C O M M I T O. Um, and so yeah, most of my work you'll find it. Uh, uh, the Nation Network uh, from time to time when I'm when I'm able to, and then other times uh, I, I do some stuff with Vice Sports uh, from time to time. Uh, you know, delving back into hockey history. Uh, and so for right now, for any of the Leafs fans that are out there, uh, you know, that uh, like Christmas and like the Leafs, I've got a a little a little fun one on Leafs Nation right now. The 12 Leafs of Christmas, where I look back at some of the more uh, notable Leafs uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas games uh, to try to inject some Leafs history into the, the, the 12 Days of Christmas classic. Awesome. Awesome. Mike, we appreciate you for coming on, and we're going to have to have you on again sometime soon, maybe right around the All-Star game, so we can talk a little bit about what's going on with uh, L.A. and their uh, hockey history. What do you think? Yeah, no, for sure. I'd be all over that. For sure. Until next time, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys.